Let's get your passage this morning. It's John chapter 9. So we moved around a little bit in the Gospel of John, but we're back to where we uh, ended off the last time we were preaching through John. And when we come up to the part on Lazarus, the triumphant entry, and uh, the Greeks in the temple, um, we'll just say, hey, we've covered that and move forward. So we're, uh, we're reading this morning John chapter 9, verse 35 through 41. Here now the reading of God's holy word. This is on page 1,666. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. As far as the reading of God's word. Pray with me. Father, may you enlighten us this morning. May in your light we see light. Be so true as we open up your word. The word of God, which reveals to us the word from God, who is the light. Of the world. May we see our glorious Savior Christ this morning. Amen. Since it's been a little while, let me give you a quick recap of what's happened so far in chapter 9 leading up to this moment. If you remember at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus is going along with his disciples into the temple and they see a blind man begging there. And the disciples ask, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus then tells them, neither this happened, so that the glory of God may be revealed in him. And then Jesus says, uh, puts mud on this man's eyes and goes and tells him to wash in the pool of Siloam. And that's when we hear from Jesus no more. After that, the man who's healed from his blindness has an interaction with his neighbors who say, is this really the man that was born blind? The neighbors bring him to the Pharisees, the Jews. The Jews say, this can't really happen. So the Jews ask for his parents to come. His parents are like, we don't want to get in trouble, so why don't you talk to him? They bring him back. They try to get him to deny who Christ is. All along the way, we're seeing a blossoming faith that this man is placing in Jesus Christ, whom, by the way, he has never seen. And then finally, this man angers these Jews so, so badly that they kick him out. They throw him out of the synagogue. They kick him out of the Jewish community. They say, 
Your association with Jesus means you are bad goods. You're being tossed. And that brings us back to where we see today. Which is really a vindication as to the examination that we've given to this scripture passage all the way through. I told you that this man's physical blindness was representative of a spiritual blindness. This is an analogy used both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. As to the character of fallen sinful humanity, we are blind. And therefore Jesus uses the healing of this blind man to reveal that not only has he come to heal our physical ailments, but he has come to heal our even worse ailments, our spiritual ailments. He has come to save us from our sins. And this final segment, when Jesus appears again to comfort and speak to this man who was born blind, reveals to us that's really what was going on here. That Christ was in this miracle pointing to an even greater miracle, the miracle of salvation. So our theme this morning is this. Only Christ, only Christ can heal our greatest blindness, and that is the blindness of unbelief. Only Christ can heal our greatest blindness, the blindness of unbelief. And we're going to look at this passage in two ways. The first is the sight of blindness, and the second is the blindness of sight. Now, I know that sounds really creative, and I wish I could claim that for myself, but I found that from a, one commentator who I liked. So there you go. I, I made it a little bit my own, but it's from him. So the sight of blindness and the blindness of sight. So let's look at that first point, the sight of blindness. And, and hopefully you'll understand what I, I mean by this. So Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So how does this reveal what I'm calling and what uh, one other gentleman and a commentator called the sight of blindness? Well, what I want us to get here is that this man is the, being used here as the prime example for what it means to know one's limitations, to be acutely aware of one's ailments, to be acutely aware of one's imperfection. This man was dependent upon other people as he was begging for change, for money, for food in the temple doorway. This man, from the moment he was born, knew that there was something about him that was wrong. He was blind. So what is it, this sight of blindness? What I want to say this sight of blindness is, is one's own realization of their blindness, of their ailment, of their being dead and trespasses and sins. And what is so amazing about the sight of blindness is that if you one day 
happen to realize that you are a sinner in the eyes of a holy and righteous God, if you come to that conviction, if you come to the realization that you are dead in trespasses and sins, that you have no righteousness which you can offer to God to appease Him, something has already happened. And that is that you have been enlightened to understand that you're blind. Or, as the psalm from the call to worship proclaimed, it's only in the light of God that we see light. It's only when God, by His Holy Spirit and His grace, gives us sight that we can realize we are blind. And this is what happened to this man in chapter 9. And it's what happens here in verses 35 through 38. And there's uh, four things that I want to look at in this portion of the passage. And the first is the words we hear in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and he found him. And he found him. The sight of blindness only comes about through divine initiative, or it requires divine initiative. Jesus finds the man. Jesus is the one who came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is the one who healed this man's spiritual blindness and physical blindness. And Jesus is the one who finds him. This man cannot find Jesus. This man has never seen Jesus. Jesus must find him. And this is all throughout the scriptures. Romans 3 says no one seeks after God. No one seeks after God. No one seeks after God, so in order for one to become aware of their spiritual blindness, it requires divine initiative. God must be the instigator. God must be the initiator. God must be the one who is working. And this is exactly what we learned back at the beginning of John chapter 9 when we were told that Jesus said, this happened that God may be glorified through it. Well, what, is, what is Jesus saying there? He's saying, this man was born, he was born blind, he was brought to this age and provided for and kept, he begged at this very place in the temple that I may encounter him and that you may see the sign of his healing, the miracle of his healing. God divinely ordered this man's life that he may come to faith in Jesus Christ. It requires divine initiative. But when one is awakened, there's also a response of faith. Jesus asked a question, a simple question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? This is Christ's most popular, most used name for himself, Son of Man. And there's... Uh, Correlations in the Old Testament to the book of Ezekiel and to Daniel. And there's questions as to what exactly he is pointing to. But we can gather that the Son of Man is a messianic title. The Son of Man is a representation of what it means to be the Messiah, 
the called one of God. And this man answers, who is he, sir? So he has politeness with Jesus. Remember, he, he has not yet actually seen Jesus with his new eyes. And the reason he asks, who is he, sir? Is tell me who he is so that I may believe in him. Do you see the, uh, the, the great and tilled and prepared soil that this man is now? And we've been seeing his, his blossoming faith all the way up to this point as he has encountered the, uh, the response of these Pharisees. He said, this man is from God. He's a prophet. He said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know is I'm blind. I was blind, but now I see. No one who is a sinner against God, God won't listen to them. He must be someone who does the will of God. Nobody's ever heard of this. And he proclaims in verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So we see this kind of growing, developing profession that this man is placing in Jesus Christ. He knows that this man who healed his blindness must be from God. But to the extent of worshiping, to the extent of, of believing that he is the Messiah, we haven't really seen that yet. But you can see that, that this man's heart has been prepared. And if you remember the story in Acts, Paul comes and it says, Lydia, her heart was open by God to hear the message of the gospel that Paul gave to him. And that's what we see here. This divine initiative has, uh, has turned into a response of faith. Who is he that I may believe in him? That I may believe in him. Verse 37, Jesus responds very much the way he responded to the woman at the, mel, at the well. He says, you've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. I'm struck by those words, you've now seen him. This is a man who has lived his entire life in darkness, blind to everything around him. And he has the privilege of seeing Jesus Christ with his own eyes. You've now seen him. He is the one speaking with you. Verse 38, and the man said, Lord, I believe. So not only does this healing of spiritual blindness and true salvation in Jesus Christ require divine initiative... Not only does it respond in faith, but it recognizes Jesus as Lord. And what's interesting about this passage is in verse 36, when the man says, Who is he, sir? He uses the same word that he uses when in verse 38 he says, Lord. But in verse 36, it's more sir and gentleman, a, 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 a word of, you know, mister, respect. Who is this? But in verse 38, it carries with it the weight of understanding that this is the Son of Man, the one who's going to be given a kingdom and a dominion which will, which will have no end. This is the Messiah, the coming Messiah, the promised one. Verse 38, Lord, I believe. I believe in you. I believe, Lord, that you are the Messiah, 
I believe because you have given me the sight of blindness to see that I am blind and to see that I need you, Christ. I need the forgiveness of sins. So it requires divine initiative, it responds in faith, it recognizes Jesus as Lord, and then lastly, it results in worship. And he worshiped him. The word here is a word that describes prostrating oneself before Christ. He got down on his knees and worshiped him. And what is so surprising about this right here is that worship and the Jewish culture was limited only to God. And to worship anyone other than God would be seen as blasphemy. But this man, in the realization that his blindness, being blind from birth, being healed by this man, Jesus Christ, being told that he is the Son of Man, carries with it a weight. The weight of all the Old Testament, all of its promises, that have now come to reality in Christ the tabernacled one, the one who tabernacled among us, the light of the world, who is before this man. And now, because he has been granted faith by God's grace, the shining brightly of Jesus Christ before him responds in nothing other than worship. And for all of us who have been given true faith in Christ, This is the same story for us. You have been redeemed because for the foundation of the world, God predestined you to believe in Jesus Christ. It required divine initiative. You did not seek after God. God sought you. And afterward you knew. If God seeks after you, you are going to respond in faith, and so you have. True faith recognizes that Jesus is Lord over your life, your only comfort in life and in death, who has saved you from the tyranny of the devil and who has placed you in his kingdom for his glory. And when one believes that Christ is the Son of Man, when one believes that the faith that they have is a gift of God, an expression of God's grace, the only proper response is worship. And that's why it is that you gather every Lord's Day to praise Jesus Christ who has given you the sight of blindness. What about the blindness of sight? Verse 39, Jesus continues, he says, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. First of all, we've got to stop here and, and understand what this judgment is. If you read earlier in John chapter 3, you hear these striking words that seem to contradict what Jesus is saying here. Jesus in John chapter 3 expresses these words.
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We know those. For God did not send his son into the world, verse 17, to judge the world. It's the same word used in John chapter 9 where we're at. But to save the world through him. So one could look at John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And say, well, how can Jesus say in John chapter 9, verse 39, for judgment I have come into the world. What is he talking about here? Well, if you keep reading in John chapter 3, you'll see. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, is not judged. But whoever does not believe stands judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Verse 19 This is the verdict, the judgment. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world. The light of the world has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever believes or whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So when Jesus says, for judgment I have come into this world, what he does not mean is that my primary purpose was to bring judgment into this world. For God sent him in this world to save the world. That is the work of Christ. He has come to seek and to save the lost. He has come to be redeemer, savior. He will come again as judge. But in the world now, he comes as redeemer, as savior. So why does he say, for judgment I have come to this world? Because the very presence of his coming has caused a divide. The very presence of the light of the world exposes darkness. And it shows that if you are for him, you will walk into his light because you have the sight of blindness. That you will know that in Christ alone, only, can I be healed of my greatest blindness, the blindness of unbelief. Or... In the exposure of that light, you will turn your back and you will squint your eyes and you will say, I deny that there is the light of the world. I deny it. I will not see it. I remain in darkness. That is the judgment. Or as Christ says it, he's come to this world that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And then we wonder why it is that Christ's ministry is marked with being amongst those who are outcasts, the prostitutes, the liars, the tax collectors, the lepers, the people that nobody else wanted anything to do with. They are the ones who flock to Christ. Why? Because they know they are unclean. Because they know they need. Savior, because they know that they are blind. But he also said that those who see will become blind. Christ is not saying here that he came into this world so that he might go around healing people's physical blindness, and then all the people who can actually see, he's going to physically blind them. Now he's saying those who think they can see 
will be blinded all the more by my presence as the light of the world. Because those who think they're the light of the world don't want another light of the world around. That's the judgment. And here in verse 40 then we hear that as this conversation is happening between Jesus and the man who was born blind, that there are some Pharisees who overhear it. And they understand what Jesus is getting at. They understand that there's a spiritual dynamic to what Jesus is talking about. There's a spiritual aspect to what Jesus is talking about. And they say, what? Are we blind too? Are we who you are talking about? Which category are you going to put us into? Those who have the sight of blindness or those who have the blindness of sight? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. I love Christ's play on words here. Think back to the beginning of John chapter 9. We're told that the Pharisees, or that, that the Disciples believe that this man was born blind because of his sin or the sin of his parents. We're told in verse 34 that once these Pharisees were done, so frustrated with this man who continued to believe that Jesus was sent from God and a prophet and someone who, uh, who listened to God, who God listened to, who did the works of God, they reply, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then Jesus here in verse 41 says, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. What is he talking about here? This is what Christ is saying. He was, he's saying, If you could see your blindness, I would forgive you. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. If you understood your need of me, you would be forgiven. If you understood that you were a sinner, You would be forgiven your sins. Verse 41 continues, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. What is the blindness of sight? It is the most powerful expression of unbelief. The most powerful expression of unbelief is not the atheist who thinks that there is no God, therefore there is no God to believe in. Because there is no God, there is no moral standard, therefore there is no such thing as sin to be forgiven of. That is not the most powerful expression of unbelief, although many of us think it. The blindness of sight, the most powerful expression of unbelief, is this. I don't need Jesus' forgiveness. 
because I'm righteous. Or in the way Christ said it. I don't need to be healed from my blindness because I can see. I don't need to be healed from my blindness because I can see. The blindness of sight is such a deep and powerful expression of unbelief, such a true expression of the judgment of God that one cannot see that they are blind. That they stand in the darkness in the presence of the light of the world and they think that it's high noon and the sun is shining. They have no need of a Savior because they believe that their own righteousness, their own works will stand before the throne of God and be sufficient. It is a very tricky expression of unbelief, but it is a very important one to point out because that of all kinds of unbelief is one in which people like you standing in the pews, sitting in the pews, can fall prey to. It's subtle. Because to many, it looks as if you are living the kind of Christian life you're called to. It's one where you go to church, you say your prayers, you read your Bible, you listen to the sermons. You check all those tally marks. And from the outside looking in, you've got it all together. But it's subtle because you do those things not in gratitude, but to earn. Not in surrender to Christ as Lord of your life but to be Lord of your own life and your own salvation. That is the blindness of sight. So who are we in this story? The man more blind or the Pharisees? I would say that there are two responses to this. If you see in this story the, the story of your own salvation... One in which you see that God has worked in your life to bring you to salvation, to faith in Jesus Christ, to confess Him as Lord, and you now worship and praise Him. That you have the sight of blindness, well, you should praise God for such a great salvation. That there is no boasting. Get to boast in the cross. That there is no boasting but to boast in the Lord. That there's nothing in us. That we should be saved. Nothing redeemable. We are, as 1 Corinthians 1, Paul can say, the nothings of the world. But if you see yourself in this passage as a Pharisee, one who has the blindness of sight, I pray that God would open your eyes to see your need for Christ, to see that you are truly blind and that you need Christ for salvation. 
that in Christ God would heal your blindness of sight so that you could run to the cross for forgiveness, that you could find faith in Christ, confess him as Lord, and worship him all the days of your life. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this word. We praise you for healing our spiritual blindness, and we pray (coughs) that we could see others healed from their spiritual blindness as well. And we know that Christ, you alone, can heal our greatest blindness, the blindness of unbelief, the blindness of trusting in our own works, our own efforts, rather than the perfect work that you have provided for us. May we be those who go and tell it on the mountain that Christ has come to save us and to heal us from our sin, to give us new and abundant life. And may we see many be healed from their blindness and see the kingdom of God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.